This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups. And my guest today is Alexandria Tomeko. Alexandria, thank you for joining us on Rising Tide. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. As they, they, they probably can't tell because I'm actually indoors, but it's dark where I am and it's not dark where she is. And it is beautiful, lovely Southern California weather. And I was already lamenting the fact that I'm on the wrong end of the country uh, before the interview ever started. But tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. So you can always come visit at first. That is true. That. Anyone can come and visit. Um, not yeah. Locked. Yeah, it's not locked. You know, we welcome all. It's sunny up until about December, and it starts getting a little gray. Um, about me, oh wow, that's always like a loaded question, right? So I you take Alex- it where you want to. Yeah. So <laughs> my name is Alexandria Tomenko. I am the founder of a Conscious Coach Conference, as well as Nomadic Planning. So I have about two companies launching my third at the end of October. Hopefully, if everything goes well with our timelines. Um, and I've just been an experience coordinator. So I'm an event planner, a kind of like a, a higher level event planner. I've been in event planning for about 14 years and I was around a lot of amazing events that changed my life. And so I, that's kind of my why. I just love creating that magic in that space for people to connect on a deeper level. Um, and so that's what I do. That's a little bit about me. So we've already established that this classic underachiever started event planning at about 12. And now that, uh, now that she's all grown up like the rest of us, she's actually going to have to get a real job. But so, so tell, touch a little bit about like family background, where you grew up, education, yeah. experience. So I um, come from a family of, we are six women Um, And so my dad always has a joke where he says, you know, I wanted to spend all my money on women and like, I don't think God got the memo of how, you know, (laughs) so that's the yearly toast around Christmas. Um, So great family. We were always, um, you know, always outdoors, always doing things, but always creating amazing events. So whenever the tomatoes were hosting an event our house was the house to be at, right? And so we made it special. If it was a birthday, we made that person feel special. And so that's really where the event planning got anchored in because I saw how magical it would be. And even though sometimes we didn't have thousands of dollars in budget or hundreds of dollars in budget to make an event happen, it was still over the top, amazing, um, filled with love, laughter, a lot of people. My education, so I grew up in I was born in Texas and I grew up in Costa Rica for 18 years. So I actually have a BA in hospitality management. So all about hotels, tourism, um, and event planning as well. And I, yeah, so I did that. And then I moved here four years ago to start and open up some companies. Now, did you do your, your like secondary education in Costa Rica or in the States? I did it mainly in Costa Rica. Right. And I got my, my international BA in Costa Rica as well. Um, most of my career growing up at first in event planning and project management was in Costa Rica until about four years ago when I transferred here. And I, I started my, th- I started one company before, closed that one down and then started these that I'm running right now. So, you know, you're no stranger to beautiful weather and beautiful beaches and, and uh, lovely environments that do, do these events. So, so, I mean, it's really interesting that you already touched on this, kind of you, you answer the question before I ask it, but, you know, how, what was the kind of the transition to lead you to event planning? And I, I mean, if you want to expand on that more, but it's interesting how, that you can go back to your childhood and kind of see 
this progression? Yeah, it was interesting. So it was um, my childhood definitely started that. Um, my older sister is a chef. She's amazing. Don't tell her I said that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she'll find out eventually. Um, and yeah, it was just my very first job. Well, my parents had like a natural pharmacy. And so I was always in sales and great in management. And then, um, and that was when I was like 11. And then I, when I was about 15, 16, I was a assistant to a marketing director. And we put together programs which are called fam trips in the industry. And they are, um, they're trips to take the sales agents of like booking.com and kayak to a certain area and region to try the services. So stay at the hotels to try the tour services, the food and everything around. So we join forces with all of the hotels and kind of map out all of that logistically. And so I really enjoyed that and realized that I had a knack for that kind of stuff. Right. Um, So after I finished with that job, I transferred and I became the director and coordinator of exchange groups for um, students. Mm-hmm. that came to work. I worked at the university that I was studied at. So I was kind of in the Dean's office doing that. Um, and they were actually my same age. And so that was really interesting having to really develop that barrier and that boundary between work and play and who can be my friends at work and outside of work. So I did that for about three years on and off. It was more seasonal. And then I just went straight into studies and then I took a break and I became a bartender for a little bit. And then I got a call based on all my experience, my network. And they were like, do you want to become a wedding planner? I was like, you know what? Not really, but okay. (laughs) Um, So I did that. I was like, I don't know if I can be a wedding planner. Like, I don't know how to plan events that well. And they're like, you've been doing this for years. And I was like, oh yeah, I have. So it kind of just like, it fell, I fell into it. Um, Even though I had all that experience, it's like that, that one thing that we're kind of really, really good at. And people are like, oh, why don't you like charge for that? And you're like, I can? <laughs> like it almost feels bad. Exactly. So after that, I kind of stood in the fact that, wow, I'm actually really great at event planning. Um, so I got a little burnt out from weddings, took a break, moved here. Um, I did behavior therapy actually with children on the autism spectrum. And that actually helped to read people's behavior, which I already had a knack for, but it really refined it, right? And the why of behaviors and kind of those telltale signs of when things were coming up for other people. Um, And then, you know, my company that I did consulting in, I closed and I was like, what can I do for the rest of my life that I like like to do. I need to just stick with something. I can't just keep on developing these companies and closing them. <laughs> like I need to like stick with one idea. And I looked at my, you know, calendar and it was all events. Like I was planning events all over San Diego for free because I just loved it so much. And so I was like, oh, I need to, I need to stay there. I need to yeah, do that. Exactly. So what, what I think most people don't, don't really realize is how, how unique and the event planning kind of genre is. So um, at my day gig, I mean, we have people that actually plan events and, and often they're either very good administratively and operationally, or they're very good creatively, but they're not both. And it sounds like to me that you are this unicorn that, that probably can operate in both of those spaces because um, I think wedding planners even maybe even more that's like a different level like mm-hmm. DEFCON 2 or something that you have to be creative and 
and really, really detailed and functional on the, on the kind of the reverse side of that coin. Do you see, I mean, can you see both sides of your brain operating together? Because they really have to in that space. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. And yeah, I'm definitely a unicorn, I guess, in that sense of um, I am very creative and I am very analytical and left-brained and logistical. And so people are like, you know, sometimes when they see something that I'm marketing or that I'm doing, um, you know, wording on, they're like, that's not great. I'm like, I know, because I'm all numbers. I'm like, you give me like a spreadsheet? That's awesome, right? Um, and yeah, sorry, I see people walking that's behind all right. the back. No problem. <laughs> um, but yeah. I'm so, on a planet with 7 billion. <laughs> right, there's, there's room for everybody though. Um, so yeah, it's not everyone can do that. And I see it as like you, you highlighted a great point of wedding planners having to have this creative bone in their body, right. To develop that, but then also budget and make it happen. And a lot of times, um, corporate event planners don't have that right. Corporate is very kind of in the box. One size fits all planning. Exactly, yeah. It's more of the bottom line. It's not really creative. It's not really about the experience. So that's why I call myself an experience coordinator because it's all about the experience, right? I have a question on my intake form for my other company, which is how do you want your attendees to feel? And I've worked with people who have planned events for like years and they're like, no one has ever asked that. I'm like, because that is going to like be the, the cornerstone of the experience, right? Do you want them to feel supported, loved, energized, um, you know, protected? Say, what, what is it that you want them to feel? Um, so back to what you're saying, yes, I think it is a, a special talent to have that. And actually when I work with other event planners, because there's not, we don't consider it competition, if not more of a collaboration always, mm -hmm. because sometimes, you know, I had an event planner call me. She's like, I have an event for 20,000 people and I can't do it by myself. You know, there's things that we will need to call on sure. each other. Um, so if I call on someone for an event planner to back me up, it will definitely be a wedding planner. As soon as I know that that person is a wedding planner, that instantly gives them a level above for me mm -hmm. because they manage so many things, not only internally for planning the event and budgeting and right. And the expectations that usually the bride is like, I want all of this exactly. and I have this. Exactly. But that emotional drama that comes with it. Right. So that's actually why I exited the, the wedding planning because it was you know, oh my gosh, my parents are divorced and they can't even look at each other and they're, you know, bickering when it's all about these. And so being able to really keep your cool, calm people down when these things happens, because it's very high emotion. It might yeah. be even very high positive emotion. It's a very high emotion event, right? So being able to navigate that with like grace and ease and really just, you know, calm with everyone, that's a talent that not everyone has. So how... How did you, um, I mean, you, you kind of, I, it sounds like to me you started a little broader and you've kind of narrowed your focus as you've gone on as far as the event space is concerned. So how would you, or how could you um, identify who your ideal client would be today? So if I, you and I are walking on the elevator, um, we're going to go up 10 floors. How, you know, how are you identifying if I am, am a good client for your services? And then what's my elevator pitch? Yeah, then, 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 then you have, yeah, number one, identify if I'm, if it fits and then, then give me the pitch. So I do have a qualifier that I work with six and seven figure business owners, right? So primarily coaches, mm -hmm. um, I do multi-day events. I don't do one day events. That's because the amount of energy and time that it takes to plan an event is very similar for a one day than it is a three day. Yeah. Right. So I prefer to just do a three day and get paid more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I'm, I'm going to be transparent here. Sure. Um, 
So I only do multi-day events. I work with some corporate companies. They do have to align with me on a moral level. Um, and ident- like they have to have the same core values, right? So sustainability is really, really big for me. Echo consciousness is very, very big for me. So, you know, and they do what they do, but like SeaWorld and the zoo, I will never plan an event for them yeah. because I don't believe in that. I right. don't think that we should have animals in captivity, period, right? Like we're not going to go into politics, but that's just my um, core values. Sure. So core values is a huge thing in an alignment and then having a clear vision. And then usually with the six and seven, we weed out those people who have a a business or a company that don't really know what they're doing or don't really have clientele to fill their event. Right. But I'm mainly B2B. So if you are an entrepreneur, if you're within the six and seven figures, you want to play a retreat, a mastermind, a conference, anything that's multi-day, I can come in and help with. And as long as there's time in between, I get so many calls where people are like, I'm ready to plan an event. I'm like, great. And they're like, it's going to be a retreat. I'm like, fantastic. And they're like, it's at the end of the year. And I'm like, no, (laughs) because it doesn't work. You need time. Like this is like, if you think about weddings, right? People plan weddings and you're in the midst of planning a wedding. Um, It's years in advance sometimes, you know, like at least 18 months, a year in advance, right? It's the same thing for a big event that's a multi-day, especially if this is a business event that you're wanting to make money on, mm-hmm. right? And so, so many people go to plan events and they don't take that factor into consideration. They get like divine inspiration and they're like, oh my gosh, I want to do this. This is amazing. Let's do it. And then they wonder why they end up in the red. And it's because they didn't take the time to market. They yeah. didn't take the time to plan. They didn't take the time to find the sponsors. And then they end up you know, in the red. And so part of my job is to make sure that they end up in the black, right? And so to do that, I have to make sure that it's at least six to nine months out. So I won't take a client. Like if we were to meet in the elevator and you're like, this is great. And I want to work with you. Friday. And you're like Friday. I'm like, no, I mean, depending, right? If it's a corporation that's paying for their staff, I can do that. Sure. Because they have the money and they have the people all together. Right. But if you're only, you know, the money in the business and you have to come and bring the people in one by one and sell a retreat, then that's going to take some time. So I want to give you guys the best advantage of being able to make that money back. And these are, these are all like live <laughs> events or there are in-person events, or are you talking about even maybe an online experience event, uh, those types of things? I mean, what kind of drill down a little more on maybe what, what a typical event would look like that you've planned in the last six months? Yeah. So live events. So actually right now I'm working on my personal event that I'm hosting. So that's a live event. It's a three day. It does have an online portion to it, but it's mainly the in-person event. Okay. Um, I plan in-person events. So the next would be like a retreat that we were planning. Um, so it was like a three or four day retreat. And so I go anywhere in the world, depending on where the client wants to go. So if you had an inspiration, you're like, I want to go to Bali. I'm like, great, we'll plan it in Bali. You know, like there's a reason why you want to go to Bali. We can do this. Um, so there's usually overnight. So that's where the multi-day comes in. It's usually like an all-inclusive. So like my conference doesn't include stay, but a retreat would, you know, so they pay the package, they pay for the right. hotel. We stay on site. I help them with that. So yeah, to that answer the question. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and I'm, so how, I mean, how do you vet the, I guess, the coaches that you're working with? I mean, I can, I can imagine these two different bookend, you know, scenarios where, you know, both coaches maybe make really good money. 
but one coach can really, it's really magnetic and they can really draw a crowd. And they, I mean, if they, they do an event, people just, you know, just go pop out their credit card and buy the ticket and go. The other person may be really good one-on-one or may really good with corporate, you know, clients or something like that. But really it's, I mean, I guess, are you looking at kind of their, their portfolios and their history and seeing, you know, what kind of events they've done in the past, how they've drawn crowds that, I mean, what, I guess, what's kind of the level of vetting that you would do with a client? So I get on the phone with all of my potential clients. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And so then I have them fill out a form that has a couple of questions. Um, Usually if you're planning an event and you've planned an event before and the event planner was good, you're not going to let them go. And if you're listening and you have a good event planner, don't let them go. (laughs) (laughs) So there's, you know, I get the kind of the the tail end of, you know, we planned an event. It didn't work. I ended up in the red and now I'm really gun shy. And so I want you to help me. Right. And so I do look at, you know, not only what you're making, what is the end game for you, right? What is your goal? I was just literally on the phone with a potential client, one of my friends, and she's a coach. And she's like, I want to do this and this and this. And I want to have this like a thousand person event. And I go, whoa, okay. From what I'm hearing you saying, that's not going to be feasible, right? Because your model is not at that point. So how about we scale it back? And she works in like a, a, a selective energy in industry. So I was like, go to the big people in the industry that can offer you the money and the people and start there. And then we'll build into a larger event and like a retreat, right? So it also depends. Like I can work on the whole spectrum, but I do personalize it. So depending on, I hop on a call and depending on where they are, I give them also modifications and tweaks. Like, okay, maybe going full out into a 12 day mastermind halfway around the world from where your clients are is not a good idea. Maybe you need to do a two day mastermind locally so that you can fill those slots, right? Um, If they're only good one-on-one, then I do have that question of like, you know, see uh, work, like push yourself, right? We still have time at least six months. So push yourself into like, okay, Start taking on and testing with a group and then seeing what your limit of working with a group is. I don't recommend any masterminds over than 25 people. That's too much. Right. For the group dynamics, it's too much. I have a friend who also plans around the world. His rule is eight people mm-hmm. yeah. for trips. So if it's a room of 50 people, that intimacy that people are actually paying quite a lot of money to be in the same room with you is lost. So all of those factors come in and then I usually give them, you know, I have a little bit of a sliding scale of my fees um, mm-hmm. and then it, it just depends on where they are. Sometimes I'll just give them pointers and say, you know what, when you're at this point, we can talk again, right? Like, I don't think this is for you. Yeah. And I'll always stand kind of in that integrity of, I want to see my client succeed. Mm-hmm. So it's not just, you know, there are other event planners, unfortunately, that it's like, just give me the money and like, right. we'll do it, right? right. But I want to see that event filled. I want to see, you know, your pockets filled and, you know, you meet your goals. I always ask them like, what's your monetary goal? What's your like person goal? What's like, what's your ultimate goal with this, right? Mm -hmm. Where are you going with this event? Yeah. I mean, I I love the way that uh, every time I have interviews like this, I mean, I probably come into it with a a kind of a preconceived notion of what I think they, they do. You know, I, I think I know what an event planner does because I've seen, I've been to a lot of events and, you know, I, I work with them. I, you know, I, I interact with them. I'm friends with them, but I, your, your definition of what you do is so much more broad than what 
I, I would have, you know, if I was filling out the Wikipedia page of event planning, I never would have gotten there. I mean, I really like the idea that, that you're, you're actually more than the actual event. You're actually coaching people. You're yeah. coaching them in, you know, how to do marketing, how to do <laughs> SEO, how to do, you know, how to think through the process of what you're trying to achieve. What are, what is your end goal? What's your beginning point? What's your history? What, what do you want to achieve? What do you want them to understand when they leave or what do you want them to be feeling? What's the emotive side of things and the, and the, you know, the, the intellectual side of things, what are they thinking? You know, what's the follow-up? What's the, what's the next step after the event? You know, that, all those things that, that you, you didn't know when you began, you know, in this process. And now because of your experience and all the times you've worked with other people, you have this, this real insight that, I mean, to me, that, that is so much added value to just the event planning side of things. I mean, your fees just added, you just added a zero to all your fees yeah. that record that description of how I just described your, your yeah. Your, can I use that as a testimonial? Ab- absolutely. <laughs> you certainly can. Yeah. You yeah and, and actually it's in my fees and like in the contracts where I say I do marketing consulting and sponsorship consulting. So I don't go out and I like the two things that I don't do is the marketing and the sponsorships. Like I don't get sponsorships for your event and I don't mm-hmm. do the marketing, yeah. but I do package it very nicely so that when you approach a sponsor and you approach the marketing, it's easy and it's just kind of a plug and play. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And but they have to have people that can do those things for you. I mean, that, yeah. that maybe like almost like an add on service mm-hmm. if needed. So um, let's, let's drill down a little bit more. Um, take me through a typical day. You know, when you get up the morning, we were talking a little bit off camera about this, you know, people that are kind of transitioning from corporate life to, you know, to uh, I'm a solo entrepreneur startup life and, and how even they, they have maybe have difficulty with kind of time management skills and things like that. But walk me through a typical day, you know, what time you get up, <laughs> what's the first thing you do? So interestingly enough, get up at 5 a.m., run on the beach. Yeah, when we were talking about it, I was like, oh, yeah, time management is so important. I'm going to teach people how to do a schedule. And then (laughs) now that you said that, I was like, oh, my schedule is out of whack right now. (laughs) (laughs) So right now I'm building, you know, three companies. Um, One is kind of there, and then I'm building these other two that we're launching. And so my schedule is kind of all over the place and like at the mercy of this one event, right? But usually I would um, wake up at 7.30, right? And then I would have my me time. So sometimes I would be journaling or reading or meditating. And then I would make a green juice. So yes, green juice. (laughs) Um, And then that was just kind of my decompressed kind of settling in, believe it or not. Like even though I had just woken up um, before all the buzz starts, right? Because usually we have this um, habit to wake up and reach for our phones as the first thing. You know, especially the, um, you said yes, but also like the millennials are very used to doing that now, right? They sleep with their phone right next to them. Um, and then they open up their email. old man suit. There you go. Well, so there you go. Millennials, (laughs) right? And that can really put a damper in your energy and your day. And so really trying to stay away from that, um, and plan out like three key things that I'm going to do. Usually I plan out my days on Mondays. Um, but really have that checklist of, you know, these are the three main things that I'm going to attack today. And then at 10 a.m. is when I start my day. And so I can schedule calls or team calls or emails or anything else, but I just have to be at my desk at 10 a.m. 
Um, that goes until about 1.32, and then I take like a long lunch break, and then I'll do calls and things in the afternoon. Sometimes I work like very odd hours. Like sometimes I'll get inspiration and be working in my office, like planning on things. Like when I get an idea, mm -hmm. uh, like a creative idea, I'm like, oh, I just have to put this on my whiteboard. Yeah. So sometimes I've worked until like 11 p.m. It varies. It also varies the amount of clients that I have at that time. And like with event planning, we, we're very seasonal as well right? So there's like a high season and then there's like a little bit of a lower season where maybe we just are wrapping up events. And so we're taking some time time to decompress. Right. Um, how I plan in general, like a, a bird's eye view is very cyclically. So I plan every quarter. So I do three months on one month off. Right. And then I don't work on Mondays. So I've fallen out of this schedule, but I, this is like my ideal schedule and what, when I'm on that schedule, it's amazing. Um, because, and people ask me why you don't work on Mondays. I'm like, well, first of all, no one likes Mondays. Like I feel bad for Monday, but no one likes Mondays. So <laughs> if there's a problem with Mondays, just eliminate the problem and don't work on Mondays. <laughs> so, and it's really because, you know, most people are catching up. They're playing catch up with their email. Yep. You're not going to answer. You're not going to get what you need. So yep. I'm a doer, right? I'm like, go, go, go. Let's just make things happen. So on Mondays, I would find myself very frustrated because first of all, people are in a bad mood because it's Monday. And then they're, you know, already, you know, sunken under all these emails and contacts. They're not answering the phone. And so if I need quotes or things like that, I send them out on Saturdays. They land on Monday. People are checking them. And by Tuesday, I have an answer. Yeah. Right. So Mondays was my me day and it was a day that I would go and meditate. It was a day that I would plan out my week and really schedule like, okay, I have three new clients that I'm onboarding. So I'm going to schedule them and, you know, see what they need. Some clients need a little bit more support than others. Like I've actually helped clients, like even within the packages that I give, like, you know, Hey, your website doesn't look great. Let's fix that. <laughs> Like, you know, or you don't have a website up. Let's get you a website up. Like, let's talk about this. So it depends on how much support they need and what I have going on. Lately, it's been, yeah, around that, like getting up at 730. Still that 10 o'clock is my rule. Mm -hmm. uh, and then just flowing from there. I do have Tuesdays and Thursdays live AMAs with my speakers for the conference that we've been doing um, that have been like putting that chunk in there. Right. Um, but really I time block. And so it's just, I focus on, you know, Mondays is the day that I invoice everyone to make sure that I have money because not you forget, like, you know, even no matter what the company is, if you're follow, focused on like fulfillment and that passion part of it, usually you're letting the admin fall by the wayside. Yeah. So Mondays are a really good day for me, at least that I found to do admin, you know, check emails, tweak my own website, you know, create a white paper of my own or, um, billing clients or talking to my accountant or talking to my lawyers or developing contracts, like whatever my company needs, right? Mm -hmm. Because if not, you're just focusing on clients right. and your business never develops. Right. So I, I mean, I love that. And I, and I'm going to circle back with that in just a second, but I, I kind of want to dig a little deeper inside your head here. And, you know, when you first got started and you, you were kind of on the, in the online space and, and, you know, getting a little more active in social media and things like that. Who was, who was further down the path ahead of you that you looked to for some kind of inspiration? For social media in what way? Um, or maybe somebody in the space that you, were, that you were in, that you were going into, event planning or something like that. Somebody that, that you know, maybe has a, a larger presence or more famous presence or whatever that you were saying. You know what? I would like to kind of emulate some of the things they do. 
Interestingly enough, it's never, um, and I was talking about this yesterday, I was at an event and they're like, oh, it's because you should be like front and center and like sharing your message. And I was like, no one cares about the event planner. And so they're sitting there like, oh, that's just, I'm like, no, seriously, we are the faceless, like little fairies that make things happen behind the scene, right? Like rarely do you see someone acknowledge the event planner. Rarely do you see someone like saying like, oh, the event planner of the Oscars is, right? Yeah. So it's really hard for us in social media for me to emulate someone because we're always behind the scenes right. and that's where we're comfortable. So the events that I would like to emulate, those, um, good question, let me see. It's, it's really never been, I've never really looked um, at anyone and been like, I want to be like them. It's more been like a goal of, I would love to plan an event like this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like an event of 4,000 people. That's just like this overwhelming experience. Right. Um, because I have had mentors all my life that mm -hmm. have been amazing, but they've all been in different fields and they kind of just come out of the woodworks to help me. It's really random and weird, but they're great. You know, my first mentor was, a dean of student affairs, international student affairs at my university. Right. And it was because she just liked me and saw potential in me. And so I would have lunch with her every day when I was in college. And then she, you know, pushed me to get my big, my first job and then pushed me to do this because she saw potential. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the online presence. And that's been something that I've been actually like debating with because, you know, with my company, they're all like, you're the CEO. You need to step up as like the, the CEO in the face of this brand. And I'm like, no, but I'm the host. I'm the event planner. I should be behind the scenes. And that's where like I've been for 14 years. So um, it's really hard to say because we're usually event planners are very comfortable behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And we're just kind of like, and I personally would pride myself in that. Like, there was a party that my sister put together and I chose, it was Alice in Wonderland and I chose the Cheshire cat because <laughs> I just kind of appear and smile and do stuff and then I disappear. Right. And so that's what we do event planners. And that's, there's a magic in that. Right. And just making things appear like when someone's like sitting there going like this and they're like, oh, it's like, they know that, you know, they need a napkin. And so you just plop a napkin in their hand and you run off to do something else. Like that's the beauty. And like that secrecy and that am, am, amenity yeah. is um, something that I personally enjoy. And I feel like a lot of other event planners do too. But you do have to have anticipation too. You have to kind of, kind of anticipate what is, what is coming next and what is going to be expected next and all that. I'm going to throw you a little bit of curve here because okay. uh, I told you I'm going to chase rabbits when you say things that, that you know, kind of spark extra, extra questions. So yeah. I'm going to drag you out of the, out of the back, the back curtain now. <laughs> up to the front and hand up stick a mic in your face but <laughs> so i think this is another question that you've probably never been asked before on a on a podcast or on an interview but do you have a ceiling a ceiling yeah, yeah. as in like a stop well let me let me let me frame the question a little bit better so do you have a mental ceiling of how big an event you think you could pull off no so I feel like it's, so it's a, like anything in growth, right? You have to stair step it. Yep. Right. So when I was hosting, you know, private events of 30, I wasn't going to go to 2000. Right. right? I was hosting right. and helping open houses. Um, 
and like the realtors would come in or, you know, business deals and helping with that type of stuff. Um, so I think, you know, I'd probably love to work on like a really big conference, which is, you know, what I'm building, which mm -hmm. that will grow. Um, and then I think I'm going to step down and start doing the smaller things again because they can be more intimate, right? So it's yeah. just really pushing my, oh my gosh, I planned an event for 10,000 people and I'm good, you know? <laughs> okay, yeah, I reached like I did it. Check the big pool. That's right. Well, yeah. I, mean, you, you, I heard you use the term or the 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 amount four thousand. You said if I could do an event for four thousand or something like that, and I thought, well, I wonder if you know what's the difference between four thousand and forty thousand. I mean, is this just not exponentially scalable? I mean, are you just not? I mean, I know there are unique logistical challenges to mm -hmm. you know multiples of ten, you know that type yeah. of thing, but. Um, there are also some some kind of universals, you know, whether it's 40 or 400 or 4,000. I mean, some of the questions that you would ask would be the same questions you would ask at 4,000 that you would ask for 40, you know, um, just the, what is the kind of the outcome and what do you want them to feel and those types of things, but maybe not yeah, drill down that, that intimately, but yeah. It's not as intimate. And again, like my, 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 my key thing that makes me highlight and stand out is the experience, right? Not like my personal experience that I'm bringing mm -hmm. to the table, but how people have an experience with right. the event, right? So at a level of 40,000, it's really hard because you have different set of challenges, right? Yeah. So if we're comparing 4,000 to 40,000, the venue is different. Sure. Right? So yeah. you can have a 4,000 person a dinner where it's a buffet, no one will ever in their right mind probably do a plate of dinner of 4,000, mm -hmm. right? That's just bananas. But a buffet, yes. But a 40,000 person buffet yeah. is something that, you know, it's rarely heard of. Is it doable? Yes. But you're going to run into challenges of when we're talking about 40,000s, you're talking about like Staples Center and you're talking about, right. you know, a stadiums where yeah, it's a sports this, venue. Yeah, the seating is different, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't get that intimacy. So right. like even with the experience, like the decor has to be different. So there are a lot of different challenges. Like when you're when you're working between I'd say probably like 10 to 500, those you can lop in the same kind mm -hmm. of thing. It's easier yeah. to find a venue, you know, that kind of stuff. It's easier to still be intimate. 500 to about 2000, that's when you start to have like those right. challenges, right? right. And then to like 3,000 to about 4,000. And then like there's another bracket there. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, and then the, the other thing is having a team. If I were to have a, you know, help and produce an event of 40,000, which, hey, if you're watching and you want to hire me for an event for 40,000, hey, let's do it. We'll but make it happen. <laughs> we'll make it happen. But having a team, right? I'm still building my team to be able to manage events like that and manage events. So here's the other thing, like in this industry and I found, and I love you all who say this, but please stop saying it. <laughs> <laughs> anyone can plan an event, right? So I talked to all these coaches, oh, anyone can plan an event. I'm like, yeah, but not everyone can plan an experience, right? And anyone can plan an event, but not everyone can plan it well. 
Right. So I, I wouldn't even has- agree. Everybody can plan an event. I mean, <laughs> I've been to some events that they should never have been planned. Exactly. Cause there's a steep learning curve. And so that's one of the benefits of like, I even tell people I present and do workshops on event planning all the time. And I say, you know what? Sometimes I'm going to say, do this, not this, or just do this. And people are going to ask me why. And I can't remember why just don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> or just do it, right? Because it's been little things that I've learned over 14 years, mm-hmm. right? That I may have learned it in year one in event planning where I'm like, ooh, that's big boo-boo. Or like seeing also because event planners talk so much and we have such a good relationship. Yeah. I hear about their disasters, right? I hear about what has happened for them and they give me feedback. So I'm like, ooh, I make sure I don't do that. So like, so they say anyone can plan an event. Not everyone should, right? Because- yeah. This is what we do, right? We see the full vision and we see five steps ahead from everyone to the point where like, even my friends in my personal life are like, you're always like, let's just start here. And I'm like, no, because you have to like A, B, like you have to lay it out. There's like a sequence to things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And so that's not, it's a very left brained activity. Yeah. So not everyone is going to have that ability. Um, so yeah, you, you can, but, you know, training a team, like for me, having a team that I trust that plans on the level of excellence that I do is hard to develop, right? So not impossible, but it's, it's training where I still talk to event planners that might have been in the field 14 years too, and I can share insight with them that they would have never known and vice versa. I, it's, it's not just a right brain, left brain thing. I mean, it actually is like your right brain has to see the future, has to envision what it would look like. And then your left brain's got to reverse engineer this thing. So, I mean, it's, it is, uh, that, that's why I think you are such a unicorn because it is so difficult to be able to pull those two. And they really are in some ways diametrically opposed. You know, it's not like they're just complementarian. You know, they're just not working together like two little gears. I mean, they really do compete for space. They compete for energy and, and action and, and interest and all the things that, you know, you have this con this internal conflict in your mind. But so tell me a little bit more about your team. <laughs> what do you want to know? So they're all over. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a team, but they're all like... So they're all mostly entrepreneurs, actually. Um, we have a couple of interns in my team, and then I'm onboarding one more person who I think will be team, not partner, for nomadic planning specifically. Because now that I've built out a little bit more of the systems, I'm starting to scale, right? And so I'm learning, actually, and like everything's a growth process, um, how to scale effectively and efficiently, right? Because I can plan a bunch of stuff and I can teach other companies how to scale, right? But it's different to scale from 20 people to 100 than it is from zero to 20. Right. Um, So I've had to really learn to step into that responsibility because I've always managed teams, but I've always had HR managing teams for me, right? Mm -hmm. So like, I'm like, oh, this person is not on my event planning list. You need to like send them away and bring me someone else and they would do that, right? And so I've started to have to also like, develop the systems in my company of how I want things to work. What does the follow-up look like with clients? What do the responses look like? What do the emails look like? So all of those systems to develop so then I can onboard a team for them to do Right, them. right. That is, uh, I mean, it's, it's really interesting going from, you know, working in your business to working on your business. I mean, that, that's when you really are a CEO. Yeah, and there's a level of working on your business and then there's working on your business so your business grows. Yeah. So 
as soon as you start to scale and even I was at a women's event this weekend and a lot of the women were talking about, you know, onboarding team and how if you've been a solopreneur for so many years, which I was a solopreneur for eight to nine years before I started scaling, this is the first company that I'm scaling. And because um, I need it, the magnitude of everything calls for it. I can't do it by myself. So it's like you, you have to learn to scale. And, um, you know, before that I had just an assistant and it was a big um, like learning opportunity for me because I went from solopreneur of I do everything, right? Mm -hmm. And if you know how to do things and you do it quickly and you can just get it done in five minutes to onboarding, teaching, and then sitting back and really not interfering with them, yeah. right? Yeah. But also giving them enough guidance so that they're very clear on their expectations and very clear on their tasks and they have everything they need for those tasks, right? right? They have the logins, they have the money, they have whatever it is that you need to give them because usually it's not, um, it's usually they're not a bad team member, you're a bad boss. Mm. So when you look at it through that lens, if you, you know, people want to meet and exceed other people's expectations, and someone told me today, like, it's all about the paycheck. I'm like, no, some people actually are passionate about what they do. Mm -hmm. But if the expectation is clear, right? Right. And so creating those clear expectations and what that looks like for you. So like I have a rule with my team. If you have to keep me on the phone for an hour asking me questions over and over again and me explaining it to you in Russian and Chinese and whatever I need to do for you to understand, I will do that. But don't go and implement and start acting on something that you're not clear on. Mm. Get clear first. Those are my rules. Ask me as much as you need to. You're never going to annoy me. And then we move forward. Because if you're not clear, you're going to go doing a lot of work for five, 10 hours and they're going to come back and I'm going to be like, that's wrong. Yep. And they're going to be like, well, because I assumed. Okay. Yep. No, you've got to ask. And but they're frustrated too. Yeah. And then they're frustrated. And so it's opening that communication and that clear expectation where I expect you to ask me everything you need to know so that you can do your job well. Right. See, I have, uh, it's, it's been kind of underhanded. You didn't know this was happening, but I, I, you know, I got about five micro courses out of you without you knowing you were doing any of them. <laughs> so, you know, I just keep asking questions and then you give me kind of a three point answer. And I'm thinking, man, she is really good. So I, let's talk a little bit about the transition. So, you know, going from corporate to kind of going out on your own and, um, I got a, I got another one of these unique questions for you that uh, I'm really curious to hear your answer. But so you know, this is this may be a, just like a dream lifestyle for people. I you know I I broke out of the corporate cubicle cell that I was you know destined to or locked into, and I went out on my own, and then boom, I become happy. Are you happy? I am. I am because. And a lot of people are like, ooh, the freedom, I get to live life on my own terms. And it's no, because I really get to do the things that I choose to do and that light me up, right? So my company, Nomadic Planning, when I founded it, I had closed down my consulting company. So I used to consult in operations and logistics, so systems for restaurants and hotels. And I was miserable because I was like, that was my goal, right? Like to be a consultant, you walk in, you tell people what to do and you pick up a big check and you leave, right? <laughs> and part of that was true. Um, and I made very good money, but I realized that it was a lot of handholding. I realized that my client were ideal. They didn't really under understand me. I really couldn't support them in the way that they wanted to be supported on like an emotional and personal level, right? Like I was becoming their coach and I'm right. more of like, like let's, let's look at the bottom line and perfect the systems. That's what I was hired to do. 
So I was like, you know what? I don't want to, you know, I was in that, in that plateau of, I had had a client on um, retainer for like a year and a half. And I was like, okay, it's either I bring in more clients and I start to scale this or I do something else. And I was like, I don't really want to scale this. I don't really want to help people in this industry because some people just don't want to be helped. And so I sat in my office for a couple of days maybe and just stared at my whiteboard and like thought, what am I going to do? And so the answer came that it was planning. And then I was like, okay, I got burnt out planning before, right? And wedding planning. So I sat there and I developed my perfect company and what that looked like. And that was, I didn't want to work with weddings. I didn't want to work with people that don't have the budget and high expectations, right? So that's where it came, six and seven figure business mm, owners. Yeah. I wanted to work B2B. I didn't want to have to fill the, com the conference or the event myself. I wanted to work with the head right. of the person and then have them do that. So I was really able to plan out the life that I wanted. And, you know, now I get to get out of bed and be like, ooh, I get to budget for so-and-so, right? And I get to be part of their vision, which is what I've always loved to do. But there were these other things that made me unhappy with it. So it's a great question. Yes, I am happy. So you kind, um, of, kind of took all the things you wanted to do and kind of left all the kind of the dross that you didn't want to kind yeah. of behind. So what, a, I mean, what a great way that, that truly is the <laughs> definition of a lifestyle business. I mean, it really is. You, you kind of built the business around the life that you wanted to lead based upon your skills and, and gifting and passions and, and also what people would pay for kind of yeah, that, perfect, I, that Venn diagram, you know, intersection of the three circles. What's the, what's the sweet spot in the middle? So Yeah, and I did analyze the market for a while before yeah. that, right? And I knew that there was this upheaval of coaches coming into the market, and then a lot of them were going towards retreats. Yeah. And I said, well, I can serve them perfectly, and as soon as it starts falling into retreats, I'm going to be there ready for them. And then that offer, also like with the lifestyle component, it's like, I love to travel. I travel with my clients. So when clients are like, I'm doing a retreat in Greece, I'm like, yay, I've never been to Greece, let's <laughs> right. do it. You Another know? stamp on my passport. Right? And so I'm like, this is perfect. Um, and I can still do it from anywhere in the world. You know, like I have clients that are all over the world that I can help in only until we have to meet at the retreat location or at the venue that we're doing whatever we're doing, the project, do I need to show up in person? And that's right. like three three days, four days, depending on the, the time. And the rest I get to do from my pajamas at home and I don't have to commute. Like, yeah. So. Perfect. So that's a, that's a great segue into our kind of our micro course section of things, okay. because I mean, you, you said, well, I can get up, I can, I can, you know, get up at seven 30. I can start work at 10. I, I can cut out about two, have lunch. I can work a little bit later. I'm, I'm not working Mondays. I'm not working this. So it sounds like to me that, I mean, you're certainly not lazy and you're certainly not an underachiever, but you've got to do something to kind of, kind of, you know, offset, you know, these blocks of time that you've kind of checked out and you said, I'm not going to do these things during these times. So how do you, how do you manage that time? I would love for you to kind of expand on that as part of our, our, you know, rising tide micro course section. Yeah. So I'm going to share my screen with you. Um, and this is, <clears throat> so a lot of times there's, and this is two different things that I'm going to show. And that is, okay, can you see that? Yeah. Okay. You're going to so have to watch it on YouTube, guys, then, if you're listening to the podcast. <laughs> so this is my goals. So that's how I broke down in three months 
time, right? Because I said I, I plan quarterly mm-hmm. my goals. And so for me, it was important to have a health goal, a soul goal, a mind goal, a business goal, a cultural goal, family, passion, projects, financial. An arm was something that I had an arm injury and I was working through that. So it's, I say, you know, lay out those things that are your goals, right? So if you don't work towards something, like even if it's five minutes a day, you're not going to develop it. So health was, you know, I wanted to get back into running. Soul was meditating. Um, Mind was reading a book a month. I'm not a reader. Most CEOs read between like 50 and 60 books a year. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to make it a goal. And once, you know, after three months, it becomes a habit. And so that's also why I did it that way, that if I can meet my goals Every you know week for those three months, it de- I develop a habit, and then I can go and develop a new one that's going to benefit me in my business. Um, so then, you know, the next couple of three months, I had you know um, strategic uh, alliances for productions, and then cultural. I had a new language in there, and then you know, flying back to see my family a couple times a year. So those were like my overall goals, and then really I laid them out. I think this was my personal schedule. I So here's the other thing that I want to highlight on this. So many times people have goals and it's like, I want to make a million dollars. It's great. That's a, that's a doable goal, guys and girls and ladies. Um, but when you say, or I want to make, you know, six figures, I want to make $100,000. It's doable. But if you wake up in the morning and you're like, today I have to make $100,000, that's really intimidating. Mm -hmm. So people lose all their motivation to try to meet that goal, right? But when you break it down into bite-sized chunks, that's when it becomes doable. That's when you're motivated to do that. So if you take, for example, the $100,000, that's about $8,000 a month. And so if you wake up and you're like, oh, I have to just make $8,000 this month. If you break that down again, I only have to make $2,000 this week. Does that feel better? right? Then waking up and saying, I have to make a hundred grand. So then, you know what, little by little, you're building on that. And at the end of the year, you've made your hundred grand, right? A million, you know? So that's why I chunk it out this way. And then this was an old schedule that I kind of played around with. It's not done. So I'll show you one of my friends. I deleted his name, so it's okay. <laughs> I made his schedule, right? And so time blocking is something that is really used now and people talk a lot about, mm-hmm. and it's just essentially blocking out a portion of time to do anything. So it's right. no longer like minute to minute, if not like chunk of half an hour or an hour. Yeah. So his schedule was um, wake up. He wanted to wake up at 6.30. His morning routine was an hour. And then he was helping his other friend develop some work. So he blocked out two hours for that, two hours for client emails, an hour, 30 minutes for lunch, um, two to four for lead generation for his business, and then five to about 9.30, which is a really decent chunk, was just partnership outreach, which mm-hmm. was you know strategic partnerships. And then he would do his bedtime routine, which is really important. So many people talk about morning routine, but no one really talks about bedtime routine. So just speaking into that a little bit, um, that really helps you get ready for bed. It gives you something to look forward before, to before bedtime. Um, and it really helps you unwind because how many people Netflix before bed? right? And that blue light is bad for us and all of these things. So if your bedtime routine is reading, maybe before bed, I had one where I just, you know, after a certain amount of time, I don't do it anymore. I need to get back into it. So it's a great reminder. 
all the lights were out, like all of the white lights were out and I would just have either candles or warm LEDs on mm. only a couple. And so yeah. soft lighting, which would start to make me sleepy. And then I would sit there and meditate and listen to like spa music for 30 minutes, getting yeah. ready for bed. And that really helps you unwind, decompress, and then really be able to, as soon as you hit the pillow, go to sleep because sleep is key. <laughs> so his next day was a little bit different. He did his morning routine. He woke up, he did social media engagement for his company. Again, client emails, lunch, marketing, help with his friend, admin time. So again, putting in that admin time mm-hmm. is super important. Right. Partner outreach. Um, the next day looks really similar. And then he just had new skill building. Um, video layout was on Fridays. Planning for the week, that's really crucial. So that was Saturday. And then Sunday, he had his free flow time. Oh, and he did meal prepping as well. So all of this allowed him to kind of flow within that structure because people always, you know, want to step out of that nine to five and just go into complete anarchy because sure. they've been told what to do. So you can make it to where it benefits you. So if you don't like waking up early, don't wake up at six o'clock, wake up at nine, Right. wake up at seven. Like what time serves you? I know that I am not able to communicate and be effective and efficient and be present for my clients and my team until 10 a.m. So I don't put anything on the books before 10 a.m. And when people ask me, I don't tell them, oh, because I'm sleeping in. It's like, I have a meeting. I'm booked until 10. Yep. I have openings yep. after 10 a.m., right? right? Schedule's not free till then, yeah. Yeah. And so that's really, you know, an effective way of, you know, making sure that you plan out your weekend. So this is just really time blocking. It's not an item per item, but then he fills them in, right? So he'll have his top five client emails that he needs to send or the top social media engagement or developing content. Um, And so that's what you can do early morning during your morning meditation and getting prepared is writing out those three things. I've heard from a lot of like business gurus and masters, like more than three things, anything over three is like a perk, right? But just focus on three. And, you know, we're used to this nine to five work schedule when really people are maybe efficient for max six hours of that time in the nine to five world. So, you know, being able to do three things really well, like if that's developing your content plan for the month, that's huge. That's one, but that's huge. Right. And like not beating yourself up. There are going to be days where you do 10. Like I had a day the other day, I knocked off like 15 things off my list. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. And then the next day I wrote like another 15 things on my list. And I was like, okay, as long as I get five done, (laughs) I'm going to be good. And I got like six done. So, you know, putting those key things and also being able to determine what are going to be big needle movers in your business. So that's something, um, one of my friends, her mentors taught her this, which was if you're bad at time management, right? Which if you're listening to this and you've stayed on this whole time, thank you. <laughs> and um, it was writing everything down that you did, right? So I went into Facebook from 5 to 5.30, right? Then it also makes you not only think about what is it really worth doing? Is it worth just like writing on the piece of paper that I checked my phone? And then at the end of the day, do it for like two or three days, highlight in green what is actually money generating items. Mm. Cause so many times we get so caught up in admin and answering emails and this kind of stuff. And we're not actually bringing in money. So if you don't bring in money, you can't pay yourself. You can't pay a team. You can't scale. Right. So really looking, because then you can look and be like, wow, I spent eight hours 
on emails, social media, and I didn't do one single income generating item. I need to modify. Right? I um, installed, there's an Instagram. That is my kryptonite. I love, I'm very visual and creative, so I love pictures. I installed a timer as soon as I'm on, and I run three companies on Instagram sometimes. Um, when my Instagram timer goes off after 10 minutes, it goes off and I'm supposed to put my phone down. Sometimes, you know, no one's perfect. But it's a good reminder, right? Newsfeed eradicator if your company is on Facebook. That's been life-changing for me. Newsfeed Eradicator is a plugin for Chrome that you can use. It's completely free, um, and it takes away your feed. So you no longer do that endless scrolling that happens on Facebook yeah. because who yeah. has ever opened up Facebook and 30 minutes later, you're like looking at cats. Absolutely. And you're like, yeah. oh my gosh, right? So I have to go in there and post and check on what my team is doing and answer questions for the conference. And, you know, we do a little bit of lead gen through there. So I need to be on Facebook. It's part of our business. A lot of people coaching coaches, that's part of your business. So Newsfeed Eradicator is a great tool. You're in and you're out, right? That saves me four hours a day. And so now I can put my attention on like strategic partnerships or marketing things or things that are actually going to make me revenue because I have a team to pay for. Right. 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 And I have my own bills to pay. Yeah. Right. So that's going to keep me in business longer than just going down this mindless like spiral. I mean, what a great way to wrap up our, our interview is just to kind of leave us with this, like, you know, the idea of kind of prioritization, you know, what's really moving the needle, you know, blocking specific time on your, on your calendar and maybe limiting to like three to do's a day, you know, don't, you know, you, you can only have three of the kind of what, the, what they call them, the uh, most important tasks or the mm-hmm. you know, big hairy tasks or whatever you want to call them that you're, you're trying to accomplish that day. But, but really are, you know, prioritize the things that are really going to be revenue generating, you know, activities. Mm-hmm. But so wrap up, wrap us up a little bit. Talk us through the, uh, the event that you're planning, this, this big event that's coming up. And uh, I think you had some like a promo code that you wanted to uh, to leave our listeners with here near the end and maybe maybe just wrap up with the best way to find you online too so yeah perfect so our event is a conscious coach conference and it's here in san diego so we have an in-person portion um that's september 28th to september 30th and then we have the online version which is september 29th to october 1st so that is ideally for coaches but also if you're an entrepreneur and you're just starting you would probably get a lot of good nuggets out of that because we've noticed that uh, coaches are entrepreneurs, right? There's so much in social media going around like coaches aren't entrepreneurs. Everyone needs to stop saying that because they are for sure. So a lot of coaches go through certifications and don't learn key business tools. Like what is going to help them move the needle and actually build a business. So if you're in ideation phase or you've been in the industry for about one to three years, you know, you've got a couple clients, but you're not sure how to scale. You're tired of doing that time for money kind of trade. And you really want to like impact more people, right? And have this like dream lifestyle business. This is a great event for you. We teach uh, coaches how to build sustainable and scalable businesses, and we have four tracks. And so we have business, so it's all about business foundation from how to set up your LLC all the way of how to scale on a bootstrap budget, right? So scaling to six and seven figures. And then we have sales and marketing all about honing into your niche, where, what channel to use in marketing, 
um, and then sales, how to like authentically close sales. And then we have self-development mindset, which is a little bit of coaching for the person and self-development for themselves mm -hmm. of like these, you know, money fears and these limiting beliefs because we are a reflection. The business is a reflection of us. So if we have money issues, we're going to charge that way. Right. And then we wonder why our business never gets out. If we have organization issues and, you know, fear of structure and commitment, all of that is going to show up in our business. So really helping them break through that. And then the last one is it, it became my favorite. I put it in and then it became my favorite track and it's new tools and practices. And so that's all about like the science behind crystals and essential oils and Ayurveda and energy work and breath work and how you can use that not only in your life, but in your practice as well to help your clients. So the promo code that I have for that is SAVE15, all capital, SAVE, S-A-V-E-1-5, and that will give you a 15% off the, the ticket. And you can find our tickets at aconsciouscoach.com. And I'm actually going to spell that, make sure that I'm spelling it right, because I named the company and then I was like, oh yeah, half of the world doesn't know how to spell conscious. <laughs> so it's A-C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S, coach, so C-O-A-C-H.com. You can send me an email either through the website, through the, you know, contact us, but also our, e our email is info at a conscious coach.com. And we're also on Facebook and LinkedIn, a conscious coach conference. So you can find us. There's the event game, um, event invitations. And then also we have an open free group, which we're revamping again. We've just been so busy with the conference. And so that is where we will drop in weekly with interviews and tidbits and really helping um, to build that community and network for you guys. Now, the, the promo code works whether they're in person or online, or is it just in person, or what is that? The promo code is mainly online. I can, I can make it so it works in person. See how effective I am, listeners? <laughs> just ask the right questions, and boom, we get you a 15% discount right there. on the, on the Don't there tell anybody. Yeah, don't tell you The person sitting beside you paid 15% more than you did. So yeah. Exactly yeah. And right. the other thing I wanted to add is, you know, depending on, I would recommend the VIP and mainly because we have 40 speakers, right? So for 40 expert entrepreneurs in their field. So they've been making five, uh, six to seven figures multiple years in a row. And so we have for the VIP tickets, you get six months of the content library. So you can go back and watch, rewatch. All of these are workshop. Um, so if you're signing on, you're working <laughs> during yeah. the event. Um, there's no pitching. So there's no sales. There's no back-end offers. So it's really just about providing content. And so you'll do the work. You'll have a workbook and you'll do the work there. And the VIP one includes a VIP mastermind as well. So you can mastermind in hot seat about your business and then a free membership to the next company that we're launching, which is the company collective, which will have quarterly accountability events and masterminds and workshops. So that's probably the best option to get that additional support and really help like move the needle in your business. Cause our goal is to really help coaches develop sustainable businesses so that next year we can have like advanced tracks. We really want to see all our attendees like really up level this next year. And so come back the year after and really have a blooming business. 
Well, Alexandria, thank you so much for uh, just taking your time today. And, and uh, like I, 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 it was being a little facetious, but there was a lot of truth behind my, my uh, joking about how many micro courses did we get in this, you know, hour period of time that we've been talking tonight. But uh, I just really want to thank you again. And it's been really good and just engaging with you online and, and just really hearing your story and letting you kind of unpack you know, multiple things for us as if we uh, kept just kind of drilling down, asking more and more questions. But just thank you once again for just playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful night. You too. Bye.